You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Peel, and each week I sit down with entrepreneurs, artists, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. This week I sat down with Ben Dorothy. He's the drummer and one of the founders of the band Cambrian Explosion. Uh, we joke a little bit in the podcast about how it belongs in the stoner rock genre, but it's, it's really much, much better than that, and you'll see what I mean. You can find more of their music on cepdx.bandcamp.com. Uh, just check out the link in the show notes. Now here's my conversation with Ben Dorothy. Were drums your first instrument? Yes. Um, far back enough to the point where I don't actually like recall deciding to start playing them, you know? Like... I remember seeing pictures of myself when I was like a toddler, just like at the, cause my dad was a pastor, so there was instruments at the church all the time, uh-huh. and I would see just like lots of pictures and albums of me like sitting behind them, not being able to reach anything, just huh. like, I was always attracted to the violence of it or something, I don't know, but um, my parents got me my first kit when I was like five, but even before oh, then right. I was like interested in it to some degree cool. like tiger woods yeah <laughs> yeah yeah except <laughs> like a three-year-old golfer y- yeah there wasn't like this intense parental uh pressure to like be incredible at it i didn't really get into it until later but it has always been an interest of mine since pretty much forever i didn't take lessons until i was about 10 uh-huh. and even then that was like maybe a year and a half and it was just sort of like playing in church and stuff like that until post high school yeah. was like when I started playing with actual bands. Yeah. Um, what was like the first group you played in? Then? Um, like... Well, this is actually the first band, Cambrian Explosion, that I've been in that like plays shows at legitimate venues and okay. stuff. But like I was in plenty of terrible garage bands in high school and stuff that like either never left the garage or just like played in our friends houses and stuff like that um, a few of the ones that you were in like there was those are fun yeah. yeah the first one i remember was called illegal operation and it was like a terrible ska punk band with my buddies eric and barry and our friend josh and uh we didn't have any horns or anything so it was just like <laughs> off like offbeat guitars <laughs> exactly it's just like really amateur musicianship um and sloppy recordings and we probably actually wrote like three completed songs we were just so bad at every aspect of being a band okay it's very fun so then how did you start the current band um it was after I stopped going to school. Um, like I changed my major a half a dozen different times, and really just had no idea why I was even in college, other than that it's just sort of like the logical next step. It's like what you do supposedly. Right. Yeah, and there was some pressure from my parents. Um, neither of them finished college, so it was kind of like a thing. But they, you know. They weren't going to, like, disown me over it, but they kind of, like, were like, you should do this. So I just did it. Because um, I'm kind of a passive dude. Yeah. But What uh, was your, like, original plan? Oh, boy, that's a great question. Uh, um, well, even when I was, like, in high school, in band and stuff, like, I had initially wanted to pursue music. 
and I just sort of allowed myself to be talked out of that because it's like dangerous and dumb and uh, it's or it's whatever. one of the harder ways I can think of to make money. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess yeah, like it's um, you'd worry about that as a parent, like for kid. sure. They've always been very encouraging about that. Like, they're both musicians. Well, my dad passed away a few years ago, but they were both musicians when I was growing up. And, like, they really loved music, and they were a huge part of um, why that is, like, such a big part of my life. You know, I grew up around it. So it's not like they ever told me, like, you're going to fail miserably if you try to do this. But, you know, they were sort of, like, gently nudging me and maybe a a more reasonable direction or what they saw as a more reasonable direction. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, I was interested in teaching for a long time, um, history, cooking, <laughs> like, okay. just a billion different things, just trying to figure out... Like a, like a chef? Yeah, a, yeah, okay. that was something I was interested in. Um, Do you still cook? No, no, I'm, I never was even very good at it. It was like, <laughs> the idea was very appealing. This is like, oh, it would be so cool to be good at cooking. You'd have ladies over and be all like, wow, he's such a good chef. Right, yeah, that was the plan. Um, I cook well enough to cook for myself. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't cook anyone a meal or anything, and yeah. be proud of it by any means. But uh, this is a huge, huge digression from your actual question. But uh, I Sorry. stopped going to school, and I was just feeling really like restless and aimless, just working and not really doing a whole lot. So I put up an ad on Craigslist, just saying that I played the drums and like listed some of the things I was into stylistically and Nori uh found that ad he was moving here from Wisconsin and he wrote me and we like met up and went to a show together and once he actually moved here we got together and played and after about like 10 minutes of playing together we just kind of like looked at each other and sort of nodded we're like this is good like this could go somewhere and uh we've had a few members change since then but it's been the two of us consistently since the beginning like, were you nervous at all about starting something, or is it just something to do? Um, I didn't have a specific goal in mind as far as, like, I would have been happy just playing, like, in a basement with some people. You know, I just wanted to play music with other people again. Mm-hmm. Um, during the summer after I graduated high school, I played with a jazz quartet for a while, but they were all, like, super dope musicians who went to, like, Juilliard and Berkeley and all this stuff so they just like left after that summer and I was left without anything to do uh, for you know like a couple of years really I didn't even play the drums so I just missed it I wasn't trying to start like a band really yeah Um, and I played with a few people just kind of bouncing around and nothing really stuck until Nori and I got together yeah it seems interesting because it seems like a lot of I don't know, like in my life, a lot of good things have just been the, like, well, why not? Like, I'll, I'll do it. I want something to do. And I like this thing, podcast being one example. Yeah. Um, I don't know, yeah, like I joined, like, a sports team, like, late in college, and now, like, I still am involved in that, so. Right. Know, yeah, it's just, like, those, I don't have anything that I'd kind rather Kind of spontaneous yeah. decisions, almost. I was actually having a conversation with some friends about that the other day, because, I really like having a path prescribed, and having to do that on my own has always been, like, difficult. So, uh, 
I was talking to some friends about that, and I just mentioned that, like, most of the really good things that have happened to me in the last two or three years, I've sort of just, like, fallen backwards into mm-hmm. and just been accepting of whatever was happening, and, like, it hasn't been some decision, like, I'm going to start this band, and by these dates, we're going to do all these things, like... Yeah, and it's, it's going to be this kind of music, and it's going to be... Like, right, yeah. yeah. We just sort of let things happen, and we've been incredibly lucky um, with the reaction to it uh, we've just been able to like grow pretty organically from when we started yeah so that's been very cool so that's something i should have asked earlier but just i don't i think people would get tired of hearing my voice so can you describe what kind of music you guys play oh man this is the thing that i'm absolutely the worst at <laughs> um the most succinct way to put it is probably heavy psychedelic rock yeah but uh we like take things from all sorts of different stuff. I don't know. Like, music is uh, good. I know that that's just, like, the broadest, most yeah. meaningless statement, but there's just so much good stuff out there that uh, it's hard not to be influenced by, like, everything, even stuff you don't like. If something is, like, particularly unappealing, you're like, well, let's not ever do anything like that, you know? Um, I found in talking to people about our band, a lot of people will make references to bands that I either don't listen to or I'm not even familiar with. <laughs> and it's turned me on to a lot of cool music, but it's just interesting to see, like, people will be like, oh, you guys must be really into Hawkwind or Osric Tentacles. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've heard of those. Like, I know Hawkwind. Uh, when we're on tour, like, a so many old guys, like, after every show, were like, you know Osric Tentacles? And so we learned about this band, Osric Tentacles, and they're pretty rad. But, um... Are they, like, a current group? Older? Uh, I don't know if they're still playing, but they've been around for decades. They're, okay. like, this, like, 70s prog band. Just super weird. Um, it's cool, though. But as far as, uh, what we sound like... Ugh... I guess those are decent touchstones. Hawkwind, Black Sabbath, maybe like a little more modern and world influences. There's like a lot yeah. of like an Eastern tinge to our melodies sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like one of the tags that I liked was uh, uh, Stoner Rock. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely a very common description. Like, I'm not in love you, with the you, name of that genre. It doesn't brand well at all. Yeah, no, not not especially if you're, like, selling it to people who aren't, like, about that, you know? Yeah. There's some people who just, like, love getting ripped and listening to, like, heavy riffs and stuff, and I totally get that. Um, I'm into that kind of music. But, you know, if you're just, like, talking to a person who's not a stoner, and you're like, oh, I'm in a stoner rock band, they're, like, yeah. immediately, like, a little bit put off by it if they're not familiar yeah. with the music. Like, politicizes it a little bit yeah yeah so i'm not in love with it um but that is definitely an accurate way of putting it you know it's just kind of like whoa man kind of music it's heavy and loud call it what you want their music's pretty great here's a sample from their song looming eye
what's your vision moving forward for the group? Definitely. Um, initially, when it was just Nori and I, we kind of just felt it out, and we were writing songs that were a lot more um, mainstream. It was still psychedelic, but it was more like along the lines of like the psychedelic pop and garage rock and stuff that uh, you hear a lot of. But there were like aspects of it that were heavier, um, and, like more riff based or like proggy, like time signatures that aren't for. Um, and those parts were just better than all the other parts. <laughs> we're like, this stuff is way cooler than every other bit of these songs. So we just abandoned all those. We had written like a half a dozen songs, and there were like a few little chunks that survived. Um, but there's only one song, like one or two songs, that we've been consistently playing since our first show. And uh, Initially, we were going to release like a trilogy of EPs um, to just sort of explore like music and what we wanted um, and sort of figure ourselves out as a band. Just release those for free online. We got to the second one, um, The Moon. Just uh, I guess that's been out for quite a while now. It came out in May of last year. Um, and it just resonated with our audience, and it resonated with us. Um, and we just kind of scrubbed the third one that we had already recorded. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, this is like the route we want to go. And I'm sure that there will be like a lot of growth and stuff. Um, but we've definitely been going in like the heavier, darker musical direction since then. And uh, it's been cool. We've been able to meet like different bands in town because of that. Um, the Portland music scene has a lot of cool stuff going on, but like, at least in my experience, which is admittedly limited, it's really insular. Like, you'll have like this group of people say like just 50 people playing in like a few dozen bands and like you always see the same crew at every show and you'll meet other people and you ask them what band they're in what bands they play with and they'll just mention all these bands you've never heard of in your entire life because really? they're just all these like little cliques different kinds of music so when we started playing like so it goes by genre kind of yeah i mean there's like a lot of crossover in certain aspects um but yeah like we didn't start meeting all these like heavier bands like Young Hunter and Queen Chief until we started playing that kind of music more and focusing on it. And it was just like being inducted into this whole new world. Or like, I'm like vaguely aware of like one or two hip hop uh, artists here in town. But as soon as I like made friends with this guy Elton Cray in uh, at PCC, like in, in a music theory class, and went to a few of his shows, I was like, introduced to just this whole world of like portland area hip-hop and rap and it's just so easy to get locked into this like yeah. little bubble um that's crazy because i would never put like portland and hip-hop in the same bucket yeah it's but, definitely yeah. like I, you know i don't i'm not a part of the scene well, in any like, way like folk music something things with banjos seem very portlandy or at least like from my perspective outside of right right I don't know, like what you guys are doing seems very Portlandy. Yeah. Um but yeah, like you mentioned like folk music specifically, like I couldn't name more than two or three like folk artists here in town, but if I was like a part of that 
seen, you know, I'm sure I would know like tons of them. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just really easy to isolate yourself in not necessarily even by like genre based borders, but just in like a group of people. And, um, that's not necessarily bad to have like a consistent group of friends or whatever, like in your scene. Yeah. But, uh, if you really want to build a community, you have to like reach out and like forge links between those pods, I think. Um, because, yeah, it's like a lot of people are just wholly unaware of PDX hip-hop. And then yeah, it's like a whole thing. It's blowing up right now. And I, I like I said, hip-hop. I don't really know like to listen to more hip-hop. anything about it. I had no idea it existed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some cool stuff going on. It's like, uh, it's hard to follow it all. Yeah. Especially on the local level, you know. Some people who get a lot of exposure maybe don't necessarily deserve it, and others who do don't. It's a, it's a little random. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you talked about like four things that. I want yeah, to I'm sorry, man. No, it's <laughs> I'm good. Just I, I'm jumping I'm on. Happy to have you. Tangents have here. You um, so, okay, first one was songwriting. How do you yes. write a song? Because I've never understood that. Me personally, or us how as do, a band? How do people? Uh, how do you how does the band um is it just such a different process from one person to the next yeah it's uh it definitely varies um from person to person band to band like for cambrian explosion our writing process typically happens like one of two ways it'll either be nori will come to us with like uh an outline of an idea and he'll have like a demo recorded most of the time or he'll just like play us the riffs or something and we'll throw ideas at it, but he's got, like, the basic structure pretty much locked down. So we might say, like, what if we, like, did an extra chorus here? Or what if we, like, wrote a bridge? Or what if we, like, went to this chord instead of yeah. that chord? You know, like, we'll f- throw ideas to see what sticks. It's like the bulk of it. Yeah, it kind of comes of out of his. And then you find you. Yeah, and then maybe about a third of the time, it'll actually just grow organically out of, like, an improvised... Uh, jam like when we rehearse we'll jam for 30 or 40 minutes and if something cool happens we'll just like do a little recording on the phone just so we have it and then we can just use those and uh, so how does jamming work presumably you have to have like some sort of chord structure um sometimes yeah we'll like pre-plan ahead like you know we're gonna play these four chords in this sequence but um, a lot of the times we just sort of follow each other. Like the more you play with someone, the more you sort of understand like their musical um, intricacies or Instinct? whatever. Yeah, you know, just like the type of moves that you would expect them to make. You can sort of like predict each other. And uh, so when you're like doing like harmonic movement, like spontaneously like that, it definitely can get a little tricky. Uh-huh. But you just have to sort of pay attention. And for us, it helps if there's just one person who's really in charge of that. And that's usually Archie, our bassist. Because, like, you know, if the guitar moves to an A and he's on an E, it's just, like, going to be this muddy yeah. mess. So he'll just decide when and where he wants to go. And he's got, like, a really strong grasp of, like, how chords and melodies, like, fit together and everything. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's probably the most knowledgeable out of all of us when it comes to that. Um, 
So he's able to do that pretty deftly, and Nori is just talented enough to, like, follow him doing that. And, um, yeah. Archie probably determines that. Songwriting for myself, I tend to do it almost in, like, a modular sort of way where, like, I'll just come up with a bunch of different ideas, and I'll just have, like, a bunch of 10-second-long recordings on my phone, and then I'll see, like, oh, if this one from six months ago can, like, fit onto this one, and I'll just sort of, like, build a structure out of that. Um, and then I'll usually come up with a melody, and lyrics are always last, because I hate them so much, and I'm like, I just, like, I'm not good at expressing myself in that way. Yeah. And so it's always just like pulling teeth to get me to write lyrics. But so who writes the lyrics? Nori writes the lyrics for our band. Um, yeah, he's good at sort of capturing like the the themes that we tend to venture towards, just like space and time and the, the internal dynamics of the human mind i think you get a complaint if people call it stoner rock yeah no it, it's like it's an apt description it really is i just uh okay. well, i don't can, we can cut it out of the recording oh i don't care that's that, that's fine it's this very common term like i use it too but it's just not my favorite way of describing it okay. heavy psychedelic <laughs> you're, you're not going to offend me by saying it it's it's totally okay yeah um Okay, so is that, um, and then how do you, like, make an album out of that? Um, is there, like, a theme you kind of, is there, like, a feeling you have ahead of time for what the album could be, or is it kind of arise organically from what you're working on at the time? For what we've released so far, um, it's really just been we've had a handful of songs, and we'll pick out a few of the best ones, and we'll put them on there. So, like, our first EP, um... We probably just had a half a dozen songs that were pretty much ready to be recorded, and we picked four and put it on there. And the idea to have a trilogy of EPs didn't really come until after that first one was, like, done and released. And I would like to say that we, like, had this brilliant plan and everything from the get-go, but that was just totally not true. So the first one was called The Sun, and it sort of thematically, like, fits that. But I realized that we had like a group of songs that were like really sort of dark and heavy, and then another group of songs that would fit uh, the tone for what the third EP was going to be. So it just so happened to be that we had songs that we could group in such a way to sort of create a cohesive theme, but it really wasn't intentional um, for us. Yeah. Okay. So I know a lot of people will like really think about that and like we may in the future like stuff we're working on right now is definitely like way more thought out than what we've released previously but um so far it's just been like we've got these songs these ones are good how can we organize them in a way that like sounds cohesive but they weren't necessarily like written together or with yeah. the intention of being together from the outset okay so i guess jumping tracks a little bit like is it like how much time does it take to write a song? Like, um, that again is like it widely varies. Like, we've hammered some songs out in like a manner of hours, and sometimes it'll take like weeks of like regular work to get it to the point where we're like satisfied with it. And even still, like, 
songs that we've recorded already and released we've like changed and played differently now just because we feel differently about them or we just want to do something different it's like they always kind of evolve there's not like a prescribed amount of time um how long does it take to make like an album we're very slow <laughs> like it's it's really frustrating honestly well, like, um, how many hours of like recording and all of that goes into it for our most recent EP, well, I wasn't there for a lot of it, but for the drum tracks, I probably did like five tracks for each song, um, give or take. Some of them I got quicker and some of them took more work, but I don't know. That's probably like, I probably spent like six hours tracking drums and like another just doing the vocals um and nori who did all the recording like he was constantly working on it at home and stuff but since we all have day jobs and everything it was just a matter of like hey do you have two hours at this point to do some vocal tracks or hey can you lay down keyboard after work tonight you know like we weren't able to just get away and do it so yeah. it's kind of hard to measure exactly how many hours we put into it but nori has to have put in at least like 50 hours between the recording and the mixing and all that stuff he's a pretty meticulous guy so okay. i'm sure that uh like he's the kind of guy who will hyper focus on like one yeah issue and if it takes him like two hours to figure it out and like do a ton of research and stuff he'll do it so it probably took a long time yeah yeah it's interesting you need like different personalities to make something good yeah like you've I mean, you've got, I mean, you obviously need someone who's good at that level, uh, or else it won't be, like, quality, I guess. Like, that supports quality. But then you also need, like, the bigger picture people, too. Right. To, to take that and, like, push it in, like, a useful direction. Like, to give them, like, the longer-term, like, vision and framework. To Definitely. And we're, we're trying to be better about giving ourselves more defined roles as band members, um, because we are, for the most part, we're all like pretty easygoing, passive guys. We don't argue much about anything. And, uh, so like there's, it, it's nice, you know, like there's not ever this like internal stress that we have to deal with, but at the same time, having that like force that sort of prods you to go and like do more is hugely beneficial and we're frustrated with ourselves because we know that we can do more than we have so we're kind of becoming that on our own but um i have a lot of friends who are in bands that are doing well and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's at least one member who's like very type a and it's like super organized and yeah they like not only do they understand or they're seeking to understand like the business aspect of being in a band but they like want to understand it and they enjoy learning about it okay. and understanding it whereas i'm like reading about social media management and stuff and it's just like i want to saw my head off just <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> and uh that's just like a part of the deal you know yeah. um you have to do it if you want to actually be a successful band right. or a successful musician, you know? Because I feel like that would be stuff that I can see liking it, 
but only to the extent that like like do I like getting paid to do this thing that I love absolutely right figuring out how to do that should be enjoyable because it's like important and valuable and like you feel productive and all that but it's just not the case yeah I mean there is you it it depends on how you approach it like if you're doing with that in mind it definitely helps be like this is ultimately for something better and it will make my life better potentially hopefully like who knows but yeah when you're just in the moment and you're like trying to figure out what the best time to post some arbitrary like instagram post is like oh this needs to be at 11 35 p.m on on the dot like yeah exactly um and a lot of people just have this like intuitive understanding of social media and the dynamics of like the world that is the internet that I just really don't like social media is depressing to me um I don't think I would have it if I wasn't in a band it's very nice to be able to keep in contact with people and I know that this is just like a really stereotypical sort of thing but you know when you're constantly comparing your situation to other people's like highlights it's just easy to like get into a rut so I try to avoid it but that's also my job in the band so yeah i had to well it's different but i had to stop going on facebook because i just get mad at people and their political views yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this last this last, this last couple of years it's has like, been a, a, a crucible there's not a whole lot of room for nuance in modern political no. conversation and then, like i take a step back and like i just Okay, like the hours that I put in. (laughs) (laughs) Did I receive any value from this? In a comment thread that's like, you know, like 4,000 characters, like 4,000 words long. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I still will get sucked into that every once in a while. it's It's not doing anything to improve my life. It's not doing anything to help my brand. It's like the opposite. It's like me pissing people off. Right. (laughs) And even the people who don't care care about me being an asshole about it yeah like care that care that i'm being disruptive yeah and it's like okay you know i want to be disruptive but you gotta choose like where you're gonna for sure mileage out of it yeah like people are pretty locked into their rut on the internet at least you know like when you're not in someone's face it's so easy to just like latch onto this position and defend it yeah even you know, if you're like, oh, yeah. presented with truth. conversations are completely... Yeah, it's like you're way more aware of the humanity of the person that you're talking to, you like, know? Here's a person. People are generally reasonable. Right. Perhaps they might not be totally irrational on the subject. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I, yeah. I, I, um, I regret it every time I, like, get into one of those... Uh, I pre-gret it. Like, I know while I'm writing, like, this is a mistake and you shouldn't do it. But yeah. you're gonna do it. Yeah. <sighs> Just a quick sentence and then they'll realize how wrong they are. That's all <laughs> right, that's the thing. It's like, you enter into it every single time with this, like, idea in the back of your mind that there's a magical combination of words that will, like, flip a switch in someone's brain where they're like, oh... I'm an asshole. Like, I've been wrong this whole time. And they'll share the conversation, and they'll like it, and yeah. all my friends will like it. And, <laughs> and then your like Facebook post has changed the world forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Too bad. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, God. Um, okay, before the digression, we were talking about, like, the music scene, too, like, way back there. Yes. Uh, what makes a city have a good music scene? Whoo, man. <laughs> Michelle and I went to New Orleans. Yes. And it was awesome. Oh, yeah. there's live That's music That's something I've everywhere. always wanted to do. You you should go. Yeah. And it, it's super inspiring, too, because, like, just anyone can, like, play on the street and, like make money right it. yeah so that that's super cool they can do that in this city definitely is like why is that like a magical exception of a city or well i mean it there is you know that's like the heritage land down there jazz, yeah yeah and like even more than just jazz because like there was sort of a diaspora from new orleans guys went to like the midwest and New York and all this stuff, like so many different movements in music were like started from by people who like left the city for one reason or another. Um, so yeah, there's just so much history wrapped up there or in places like Nashville or something like that, that there definitely is almost this like mystical, there's just this weird sort of like arcane vibe or whatever, like people uphold those places for a reason, you know, it's just like hundreds of years or a hundred years of you think it's like inertia American kind of musical. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. You know, if you're, if the culture of your city has been built around music for, you know, a century and a half, then it's like a lot easier yeah. For, for, you know, like the infrastructure to allow yeah. for uh, musical growth and stuff like that. But as far as what makes a community a good yeah. music community, that's like a really tricky question. Because I'm still like just a baby when it comes to all this stuff. Um, but more than anything, I would just say the people themselves, like your willingness to encourage other people and to collaborate and to go out of your way to support an artist because um, you could have like the greatest bands ever in town but if no one's going to their shows it doesn't really matter so like right. you need to support each other um, and Portland is pretty good about doing that uh, at least in my experience you know if you are playing shows with people and you support them they will return the favor which is good um yeah i don't know there's so many aspects to what makes a community like a valuable from a musical standpoint it's like a really hard question to pin down i could go on how would like, you like, what what something that you would do to try and encourage more of a like music friendly culture or maybe um, musician fr musician friendly because like musicians are obviously a big part of that to like um yeah, like if you're the mayor of portland and you want to like okay yeah so to of... encourage the culture at large to be more uh accepting or more um just intertwined with the musical yeah. aspect of the city okay <laughs> Maybe more events. I mean, there's definitely some, like, you have the um, 
ugh, the music that they do at like Pioneer Square and stuff like that, but more community-based events would be a good idea. Um, a lot of 18 and over venues, or 18 and under venues, I mean, like all ages venues have been shut down in the last few years just because of development and stuff like that. Um, like, people complain about the city growing and transplants and stuff like that, and I don't really have a problem with people moving here because a growing city is going to grow, but what I do have a problem with is, like, the way that the growth has been managed and that, um, like, a lot of places that were havens for, like, burgeoning musicians and artists have just, like, disappeared because they're being replaced by, like, big lofts and stuff like that. Or, like... We used to play at this place called the Firkin Tavern. Um, so, was, like, was it like a housing thing, partly? Yeah. Is that what I you're mean, saying? Housing, businesses, just, like, everything is sort of being pushed further and further away from the river. Um, and once again, that's just, like, a natural consequence of a city growing. But like, because of... a place that's, like, low cost to get started in? It definitely helps because, um, like you need those like when i say low end i don't mean that in like a derogatory way but right. you need those like lower tier venues Cheaper. yeah okay. yeah to like get a community to grow because people aren't gonna like start a band and go play at the doug fur or at the crystal ballroom or something like that so like this freaking tavern um we used to play there all the time and it's a great little bar the people who work there are awesome and they like had a really cool little community growing around it and then some dude moved in directly above the bar and started complaining on a nightly basis about it uh and the city was like oh sorry guys no more music after 10 which is like what yeah like shows start at like nine or ten o'clock you know so it just effectively destroyed whatever was happening there. And, like, they still do, like, open mics and karaoke and stuff. It's still a cool spot, but there's not, like, a musical scene that is growing there anymore. And I think if the city worked to even build its own uh, communal places where they allow things like that to happen and encourage things like that to happen would go a long way. Because um, the people that I spend a lot of time with have like a very adversarial relationship with the city government because there's like they don't feel as though there's a whole lot of support for the arts in the city um so that can be like frustrating when you feel like your city is sort of like actively clamping down on yeah. communities where you're able to like express new ideas and try new things or whatever yeah yeah there are a lot of places where you can do that though i mean um eagles clubs and american legion halls and stuff like that they definitely have like a lot of cool diy shows at those okay. type of places um but yeah if the city was more involved in encouraging that i think it would go a long way yeah. um so aside from like people calling in like noise complaints like why don't more yeah. bars have live music do you think is um it like, is it too expensive is it just not yeah i don't i i mean i've never run a bar so i don't really know the specifics involved um but for like a small like, do you pitch yourself to bars and like get rejected ever 
Um, we've been pretty lucky as far as like getting gigs and stuff. We've never had a super difficult time like finding shows. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've talked to places that don't do music and asked if they'd ever like considered it. And for one reason or another, they haven't, I don't know if they're like different well, ordinances are probably one thing. If you are expecting to have like 200 people in your little dive yeah. bar, then you could get in trouble for that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. There are a lot of different aspects to consider. Okay. It's beyond, beyond either. Yeah, it's kind of beyond my scope of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both of us. Um, do you feel, okay, another one that, so like in New Orleans, not that Portland needs to be, I would love it if it was, but like, yeah. I, obviously it's, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, like, people are, like, somewhat comfortable asking for money or, like, passing the hat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, one guy I talked to, like, after, like, he was on a break, I was like, is that, like, um, could, oh, he mentioned that it was really weird for him to, like, ask for, ask for money. Yeah. And I was like, why is that weird? Like, you just, I, I'm, I'm, like, thrilled that you guys played and you guys did a great job. Like, yeah. Like, a dollar's nothing to me. I just spent four dollars on a beer and enjoyed your music way more than four dollars yeah so like i think i don't know so i so i feel like it shouldn't be weird and yet for a lot of people it is like is it do you have thoughts on that um yeah it can be really uncomfortable like i feel guilty if i invite friends to a show that has a door fee even if it's, you know, like four or five bucks, I'm like, oh, we're playing a show, you guys should come out, and like, I could put two of you on the list, but some of you are gonna have to spend money, and they're never upset about it, and I go to see my friends' bands, and I pay to see them without any problem, you know, like, I want to give them my money, because I want to support them, and, uh, it's weird, like, approaching it from that angle when you're seeing a band, but when you're in your own band, it's very easy to, like, shy away from that um yeah and there are a lot of different reasons for that like i think it has at least something to do with this idea that you're like selling out if you tr ever try to make any money like doing this thing that you love but selling out is like bs like that's like people who can't make any money and they're just like mad that other people are making right money. exactly yeah, that's just, like, some crusty dude in his basement writing, like, mediocre punk songs, and he's just angry that, like, yeah. someone else got famous. It's one thing if you, like, change what you're doing completely and start, like... Right. I don't know. Like... For sure. Not yeah. Even, not even all commercials, to me, are, like, purely selling out, but, like, you know, some of them are, like, he would never do that. Like, that's so outside of his character that he's acted as, and, like... Yeah. Maybe that's selling out, where you're getting paid, like, $10 million for a 30-second commercial. Even then, like, I feel I like know. if you completely redesign yourself as a, an artist based on what you think people want, that is, like, the only way that you can really sell out. But when, like, Jack White or something sells a song to a Coke ad, like... I don't care. Like, let that guy make his money. He's one of the few people who is able to make a living being a musician, you know? So, like, more power to him. Um, if I could sell our songs to commercials, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't feel the need to, like, decry anyone who's making a living, you know? 
Unless yeah. they're like taking advantage of people. Like, dude, do what you got to do. It's a grind out there, especially if you're trying to do something that isn't necessarily just like a traditional right. job. And that's another aspect of why I think people shy away from uh, asking for money or asking for like a guarantee when they book a gig at a club or something like that. Um, is that there's at least like some aspect of our culture, and maybe this is just me, but that like tells us that pursuing a career in music or in acting or dance or painting or whatever, like something that's not like a job that, that contributes sucks. to society in like a concrete, physical, quantifiable way. Um, those things are sort of seen as like uh, flippant or um, I don't know, just like less serious. You're like, oh yeah, like he's 27 and he's playing drums in a band, like, you know. Yeah, there's like that um, like cynicism of like, well, he, you know, he's having his fun now, but you know, someday he'll get a right. real job. Yeah, he's gonna get a day job and have a family and everything, and like, yeah. I have a day job, or I mean, I have a night job, I guess, but, you know, like, I'm a musician before I'm a valet, and uh, I hope so. Yeah, it's we're like sort of taught as creative people or whatever. Um, and I don't know, I hate like talking about myself in this way. It just feels so pretentious to even say that I'm an artist. But uh, just for the sake of like making this you are easier to say, you've um, gotten paid to make art. Yeah, like yeah. we're sort of taught to like devalue what we do um because we're not like paving a road or fixing someone's teeth or like feeding them or something like right. that because whatever contribution we make is not measurable on like a scale that you could normally measure you know like if well, someone yeah, goes like, out on a saturday night and has an awesome time at one of our shows then i've done my job as a musician like they've been freed from whatever crap is happening in their life for like 60 minutes or something you know like that's great i love that and that's what i want to do but it's hard to be like that's worth 50 dollars <laughs> so it's like really easy to just be like shy and passive about asking for that sort of thing because we don't value those things the same way that we value something like a, a doctor or an athlete or something like that yeah or even like a construction worker. It's like the classic, like blue collar American working person. Yeah. Right. That's like the backbone of society. Like, and we're just like a bunch of like hippies who are like all emotional and we just want to make noise and not contribute. But maybe we're just contributing in a different way. Right. I would make that case. I, I don't know. There's like a lot of. And one of the reasons I want to do the podcast is to like show people that like, A, you can and B, you should, that, like, whatever the thing that. is for you, like, uh, it's worth doing if you like it. Right. And if it, like, offers value to other people. And I mean, people talk about, like, wealth, and they think about, like, buildings and, like, gold coins and stuff, but really it's, like, anything that makes human life better. So I would, I would, I don't know, from, like, the economic side of thing side of things, it's like, well, you like music, you should pay for, I mean, you like Lots of things that you consume that disappear as soon as they're it's over. Right. Like you see a movie in theaters, like that's really 
is it making the world better that you like saw that movie for two hours like no like, <laughs> rarely it's, it's entertainment <laughs> yeah the, the entertainment industry is huge right i sure hope that there's room for a musician locally to to get enough to like pay rent. to feed themselves yeah, yeah. just to like, scrape together a living <laughs> yeah. by you know you're really making it's it's offering value to other people yeah i don't know um i think that the things that we value as a society are really questionable um like i guess i was just gonna complain about athletes being paid like insane amounts of money but then if someone gets like the same experience or whatever out of watching like a sporting event that right. they do from going to a show then i guess it's just as valid so i won't even make that argument because right. it's not necessarily true but um yeah like we're, we don't pay teachers what they're worth we don't pay artists what they're worth like arts education is constantly being defunded in the name of right. other things and like it's kind of weird too because like the fill in the box like just do what's assigned to you is dying i think i don't think i don't think oh yeah where you like take a career test and you're like well i guess i'm just gonna rivet stuff for the rest of my life yeah yeah it's like yeah i'm just gonna show up every day and do what is handed to me and then that'll be that'll make me successful and prosperous yeah i don't think it will because one technology two globalization right I think that that is a huge aspect of why so many people are frustrated with our generation because we're like, our society is actually different from what it used to be 50 or 100 or 200 years ago. And there are like certain things that just aren't a necessity anymore. And like brutal, like emotionally and mentally destructive, like approaches to how we do work um is one of them yeah it's like well if it's supporting your passion for something else but otherwise you're just waiting to die because like you're miserable for eight hours a day you go home and then you're like slightly less miserable and you get up the next day and you're miserable again like well okay you can only do that for so long before you want to kill yourself right if you're going to be miserable for your the entire rest of your life yeah until you die then like why what are you living for i'm not saying actually kill yourself i'm saying like do something just different. do something else do something different that I totally agree with you. Um, I know that it's... I hope no one kills themselves. <laughs> right, yes. Caveat, please do not. I don't want it to sound like I just like have it out for like people working blue-collar jobs or whatever. Because if, yeah. if it's your calling to like be a plumber, then go be the best plumber on yeah. the face and of the some planet. Some people love working with their hands and solving... Make, fixing things and making them better. Like, right. I get that. I Even fixing stuff for my house is like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, it's an incredibly uh, it's rewarding. pleasing yeah. thing to it's be good, able to you, fix a thing. You can make good livings and trades. That's another thing that our society like has devalued in the last couple of decades is just trade. Like You never hear people like proudly talking about going to trade schools and stuff, and that's still just like the foundation of like american industry like oh, yeah. yes technology is moving forward in rapid leaps and we yeah. need to be like training for that as well but you're still always gonna need people welding stuff yeah. well welding automation is like <laughs> a big looming specter on the horizon maybe welding's not the best example but well, yeah but like think about what goes into like a welding job i mean welding the same pipe as it goes by on the assembly line probably isn't the safest job 
But if you're like going out in the field and like replacing, repairing a gas line, like that's a that's a hard job to like program something to figure out how to do. Yeah, there are definitely certain jobs. It's harder that than you... investment research, probably. So like, um, like my cousin's probably gonna have a job after I do. Right. Um, yeah. So he's a welder. He talks it down all the time. Like, well, you know, I didn't really like school, so I just did this, and you know, it, it's it's okay. I know it's not like. Uh, as I yeah. this college, I'm like, okay, one, you're making way more money than I do. Right. Two, like, it's also just like super the, cool. You like the job you're doing. You're using fire like, or electricity to like fuse metal together. How like is there anything yeah. that's cooler? Than and I that? in no way want this to sound patronizing, but like, no, really, that is good. That, right. Like that's good work, and I don't like. How can you possibly look down on a guy when he's like supporting his family doing it, and he, and he likes what he's doing? Yeah. You know, like that's the that's goal great. right there is just to like. Not just to scrape by, but to, like, thrive by whatever your metric of that is. Oh, and he loves it. He loves and it. to, like, not be miserable, you know? That's, like, yeah. all you can really ask for. Yeah, he, he is thriving, too. He'll, like, Snapchat me, like, yeah, look at that. And it's, like, I, I can't tell. It looks like a nice scene. Right. <laughs> You're, like, yeah, man. Cool. Uh, but he takes a lot of pride in it. And I'm, I'm sure if I knew more about welding, I'd be, like, way more impressed than I already am. It's a but, good butt weld, man. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that from well. my oh well okay that's like one of the three <laughs> terms well. I remember from ag mechanics <laughs> that's too funny here's a sample from their song Crust of Fila What does success look like to you for, for your music and then for what other people ought to? Like I was just saying, uh, I, it's, uh, it's a really personal thing. Like, I'm not a super ambitious guy. Like, if I could play in bands and teach lessons and, you know, like, I wouldn't even mind parking cars for the rest of my life if I was able to, like, do music consistently and support myself and if I eventually have a family have a family like obviously I want to be able to retire and everything and like I've got a decent enough job that I like am not struggling you know mm -hmm. so that's nice a lot of people don't necessarily have that when they're like trying to be musicians um, so like success for someone might be like being the biggest rock star on the face of the planet, you sort of have to temper your expectations when you, uh, just in life in general, but especially when you're entering into um, yeah. a career choice that's like so laden with possible missteps and like just the corpses of well, everyone you've like, known who's done it, like strewn on the side of the road. If your goal, if that's like what your success is, you're success you're never you're, gonna be successful. Successful is just everything else. There, all the way up until you hit that point, like when you hit it, even yeah. Like, then, well, good for you. But 
I think yours is healthy. Like you love the process. It seems right. Like um, doing it is its own reward. Like I don't know. Like building a Lego set is more fun than just having a completed Lego set on your table. Like doing the thing is Absolutely. why I do the thing. Um, and like my short-term goal is to eventually pay all my bills with music and just have the valet job be like supplementary income. And I'm not there yet by a long shot, but it's like slowly transitioning in that phase, you know, like less than a hundred percent of my income is from my day job. And that's cool. It's like a goal to push towards. Um, but yeah, like it could be different for, for everyone and you can't really let other people define success for you like if you're not hurting the people in your life and you're satisfied i feel like that is like successful you know yeah um yeah yeah i don't know like i um i'm happy right now but i'm not content and that's like I don't know. Everyone has like a varying level of like what they're content with and you just have to sort of learn to control that but also not uh talk yourself out of like doing things that might be like reckless or something like that. Some of the best advice I ever got and this is like so dorky. It came out of a Thor comic. Yes. Um <laughs> and <laughs> this was like when I like hadn't been playing music for a few years and just like didn't know what the heck I wanted to do and had tried all these different things and I was trying to like spark a passion for something other than like the passion that I already had, you know, just to justify not being a musician for life. Um, but there's this arc in Thor comics from a few years back uh, where like Ragnarok has happened and all the Asgardians are dead and Asgard is destroyed and. Thor is like reincarnated or something and he decides that he's going to rebuild Asgard in the middle of Oklahoma um, and he like bribes the town with a bunch of gold and they let him do it and he's like reviving all these Asgardians and they're like living in the middle of Oklahoma and there's this super beautiful Asgardian goddess whose name I can't remember and this like blue collar oaky dude like falls in love with her. And he's just, like, talking to his buddy about how he's like, oh, I'm just like a good old boy, and she's like an extra-dimensional goddess, and we're never going to be together. And this the old guy in the comic says to his friend, like, um, don't submit to the tyranny of reasonable voices. And that is just, like, what I had totally done. It was just people being like, well, maybe you should, like, try to... Yeah you know like just do something that is more conducive to like a traditional life path or whatever um and there wasn't ever really anyone who was actively negative or discouraging you know but it was just like that reasonable voice that like planted this seed of doubt in my head you know invisible like pull on you as you're like trying to break break free right and uh i'm like a I've said it a lot in this conversation. I'm like a passive, non-ambitious <laughs> person. Like, it's very easy for me to be super comfortable in wherever my life is at. So I'm like constantly having to fight against that. And, uh, you know, when you want to do something that isn't comfortable, um, it's really easy to allow for someone suggesting that you don't to just like 
make your decision for you. If you have any amount of doubt, like the smallest voice that agrees with that doubt is just going to amplify it. Like uh, a reasonable and like safe alternative makes like taking risks seem imprudent. Yeah. And like, well, That's a it. very good way of putting it. Yeah. Why do you think? I mean, you've talked about this a lot, but like, you, you said it really well just there. So, a lot when I asked that other question, that you talked about a lot. Uh, like, why do more people go after like something they love? what holds people back that way um yeah i'd say it's a combination of fear i think almost fear more than anything um fear of failure fear of judgment fear of success even for some people um like i have all of those things like you know, what are people going to say when I'm in my 30s and I'm still doing this? Like, that's something that I think about a lot. Um, but ultimately, oh, yeah. it doesn't matter if I'm still satisfied with it and I'm not hurting people. Like, that's kind of my, like, my yeah. metric there. Because yeah. um, you only have, like, one, so much time on before you die, right? Yeah. So you might as well do what you, oh, there, it's, it's so unreasonable not to do something you right um there's this uh the spirit of like the working man or whatever in yeah. in american culture and probably elsewhere but like you a lot of blue collar hate mail here <laughs> <laughs> well yeah like once again i'm not decrying the need or the importance of those jobs but the idea that like you have to work yourself to death in a job that you don't enjoy in order to like adequately contribute to society um and we're sort of deconstructing that uh as we go along and as those sort of jobs start to disappear i think it'll be really interesting where the country goes like truck driving is not going to be a thing like like, like long-haul trucking percent of the workforce it's the most common job in like it is, half yeah. of the states well it's because every state has that job right and there are like all these little towns along the interstate that exist solely to service interstate truckers like they just pop up along truck stops and those are all going to dry up and go away like we oh, wow. we value the labor that people contribute more than like the intangible stuff that they can contribute um but just when when our when your value as a person is determined by your contribution to the GDP, um, like how do you define yourself when manual labor isn't a necessity anymore? Like when like there's unemployment at like thirty or forty percent, and it's just like a political class, the class who owns the machines, and then just like the dregs of society. Like yeah. that's not an appealing future to me. So I think that we really need to reevaluate the w things that we value um, and like actually try to move in a direction that right. allows people to pursue their passions. Yeah, and I think you have a lot of economic growth there too. I don't I don't want to like just bo like bore you with like my theories here. No, man, I'm interested. 
Yeah, but I also don't want to like burn a ton of time off the clock. Okay. Uh, basically, the idea it's is, like, your show. You do you what can, you want. You can have like, uh, you can meet, reach a niche that didn't exist previously. Like, if mm-hmm. thirty thousand people in the United States are into the thing that you're into, and you are like the coolest in that world, yeah, you can make a living now. Whereas, like, if you go to because you're all connected, but via some subreddit or something, um, all these connections that didn't that could never have existed before mm-hmm. now can exist. Right. So you want, so you have many, many, many niches that are created, and each niche could potentially be. I mean, what do you need to support a person like a person in a family and like whatever like whatever number I choose is going to like say a lot about me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like trying to come up with some <laughs> annual amount that seems reasonable. Like, like the number for what where people where happiness peaks or where money ceases to make as big of a difference you get diminishing returns for money yeah it's like you know, 77,000 or something 74,000 right let's say that it doesn't take very much of a business to support like $74,000 of income for right. one person and yeah. the internet you can do that you could you can hyper-focus your message and... yeah and you can design a product just like on your laptop send email the designs to some like producer via Alibaba mm-hmm. they can ship it directly to your consumers or and you don't really need to do all that much or it could be a digital product or it could be like a podcast like, like if if there are 30,000 people that like this podcast at some point I will be thrilled right because <laughs> uh, then my thought is like okay if like I, I don't know I could go like I could introduce ads I'd rather not like do I just yeah. ask and I don't even it's, this isn't to make money it's more like for fun and to explore the issue and like share and educate with other people right um but yeah if you just like ask like 30,000 people like hey can I have like $2.50 a year for the like 50 hours of this podcast you listen to every year like is that a fair deal to you do you like it at that price and I feel like people would say yes to that yeah I mean I actually do that um I mostly listen to comedy podcasts but okay. there's a subscription service called Howl that I just it's like five bucks a month and there's just a it's you know multiple podcasts, but okay. it's like the same idea. It's like a you know, you're bundler, just kind of? essentially, yeah, um, or like one of the many streaming services. It's like we're in this weird sort of wild west yeah. still with the internet. So like everyone wants to have their own streaming service, and it'll be interesting to see like how things eventually sort of like taper into uh, a more stable system. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I think that that's. Um, a model that's definitely worth looking into. And actually, this has sort of reminded me of what I forgot a while ago. Um, and it's that I uh, will just, like, fantasize about, like, the days of the Renaissance and the Medici's, like, patronizing artists and stuff like that. I'd be like, why can't some super rich dude just give us $1,000 a week to, like, be this band, you know? Like, some guy who's just way into it, and he's like, I control all of Italy, here's some money. Um, but that's, like, the modern version of that. Go is, me. Yeah, or, like, even Patreon is, like, the name of one of those sites. Like, you just... And crowdfunding is definitely weird, like, just hearkening back to the whole previous discussion about, like, being uncomfortable, like, asking for money, asking for money or placing a value on, it's weird too, uh, on what you create. It's weird, too, because confidence makes it seem like you're more valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Like, 
the balls of Apple to charge $800 for an iPhone, it's not that much better. <laughs> right. But, like, the fact that they come out and say, like, this is worth $800. Yeah, and people are like, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. And then Samsung's like, well, ours is worth 600 And everyone's like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah, man. That whole aspect of things is just, like, the psychology of yeah. business and advertising. So you should raise your prices, whatever they are. Just... Yeah, yeah, we actually were selling our records for pretty cheap, but we sold a lot of them, so we're like, cool. at what point is it better, like, how many do we have to sell to make it better to sell them for 15 oh, yeah. than 20? We didn't really do that math, though, <laughs> but we're like, <laughs> I don't know. What's the, well, it's... yeah, it's a whole thing, but like, if everyone's selling a record for 20 and you're selling one for 15 could go both ways although i guess it's different with music than it is with a phone because someone could be like oh this is just a good deal it's a 15 dollar record whereas you're like oh this piece of technology is 200 dollars less valuable like, what right. does that mean i guess it depends on each different price right because if it's if you drop them at two dollars you would sell like no albums because people are like What's happening? It's probably a shitty album. <laughs> right. Like, did like, no one want these? Like, how bad are they that they can always sell them for $2? Yeah. Which for is sure. backwards. There's got to be, like, a comfortable medium. Although we give it away online, so... Yeah. That, that's just, like, a... Um, a part of it being, like, digital, though. I don't know. Like... Not as many people would... Yeah. Uh, have heard it if we didn't do that, you know? And when you're first starting out... Now, yeah. oh, I like the model a lot. Too, you just actually. sort of have to do that kind of stuff, cause uh, well, you hear about it, like people saying, like, okay, it's it's free, everything's free, uh, just pay us what you want, think is worth, or like, yeah, you know, have a donate button or something, and then mm -hmm. people make like way more money doing that sometimes than right selling the product. The just the way that music is marketed has changed so much in the last twenty years, and is still just in such a constant state of flux that. Um, it's hard to nail down like a strategy that you won't have to reevaluate in like six months or something like that when some new application or some new product exists. Um, but yeah, just like as an unknown band, selling digital music is just next to impossible unless you're lucky or you have like some sort of viral video or something like that, you know. So most people these days are making their money like playing shows and selling merchandise, t-shirts and physical copies of like a record. Which is kind of cool that like vinyl is sort of becoming a thing again. Yeah, you can sell those. Because like, like a digital CD. Yeah, right? people, right. Like some, a few people will want CDs, but like it's just really... Why would you not download it? Not necessary. Yeah, you can just get it. On your computer, you can burn it to a CD if you want it on a CD. Like CD, I, I don't remember the last time I saw a CD player. Yeah, no, me, I honestly couldn't tell you. Middle, high school, me, middle school probably. Yeah. Kind of like that was common. The thirty-second pre-scan anti-skip technology. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> Just like jogging gingerly with your discman in your hand, trying not to skip yeah. it and ruin your CD. I don't know. It's a whole thing. What's something that you're like excited about in the way that industry's changing? Um, well, I do love the way that the internet has just made it so easy for people to start or to like gain a following. 
Um, I mean, that's a double-edged sword because there's just this, like, deluge of garbage on top of it. But uh, since there's so many people creating, there's just so much more good stuff to listen to. And so, like, it's hard to find it sometimes just because there's so much out there. But uh, the availability and the ability for, like, a kid in his room to just like make an EP and put it on the internet and like actually get recognized for it. And it's not like that's a thing that happens on a regular basis, you know, but, um, what from being like impossible, no one could imagine it to like now it's, yeah, there was like a, there was a prescribed way of doing things for basically forever, you know, like, you would get a record deal and you would just be like their product Possibly. for, you know, yeah, however, whatever the term of your deal was. Um, and now being a DIY band is just so much easier because there are so many more tools with modern technology that allow you to do that. Um, so that's probably my favorite aspect of like just the music culture of the country and the world now, just in modern times. Um, yeah. The, also, the idea of collaborative music over the internet is uh, one that's really appealing to me. It's not something that I've, like, delved too deeply into, but it's a uh, cool thought. Like, someone posts thought. the sheet music, and then four different people from, like, four different states can put... Yeah make a recording together yeah exactly um you can just like you know send each other the files and then someone will like mix it put a guitar part on top of it and someone will put a vocal part on top of it and you've just like written a song with four strangers from other countries and like yeah. um it's just one of the many ways that the internet can bring people together man it's cool have you ever thought about just cranking out like 30 songs on one of those? Um, like, are there that many opportunities where you could just like sit down for like a, an entire Saturday and like. Oh, and just like out? pick up a bunch of people's songs and, and then lay drums down your on something? on like whatever, 40 songs or something over the course of a year? I don't know, probably. It's not something I've really considered too much. I haven't even done it, I've just like read about it and looked into it a little bit. So I don't know that much about recording. Um, like, I could record, like, demo-quality drum tracks, but, you know, I'm not going to be able to, like, make something sound super amazing. Um, but, yeah, it would be cool just to know that, even though no one's probably ever going to hear, like, most of it, you know, it's just, like, some stranger in some place is hearing you play music. It's a pretty neat idea. Um... It's always really weird when we meet people who, like, know about us before we get to a place. Like, on our recent tour, like, even the bad ask shows. Okay. Um, yeah. Talk, talk about tour. Oh. Like, is there any Keep particular going the, aspect? Keep going with the story well, going. And I um, but just even with the bad shows, there were, like, uh, a handful of people who's like, specifically came out to see us, which is just, like, a really alien experience for us because yeah. we're all, like, super new to this whole thing um so yeah that was very cool just like the ability that the internet allows you to disseminate 
your ideas to literally like everybody. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Is there any particular aspect yeah. of the tour? Yeah, so how does this tour do you like line them up in advance or uh yes. Okay. Yeah. Um this was the first one that we had booked. Like uh, it's only our second tour. Um the first one we went with uh, another band that we were friends with and their drummer and put the thing together and it was fine. Um but this time we like did it on our own, which is really hard when you don't have any sort of connections. It's like it's all about networking and who you know and uh so we're lucky enough to have like a lot of friends in town who were able to give us good advice on like people to contact and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, typically like four, five months before you go, you just shoot lots of emails out to people and sort of like have a vague itinerary because you end up having to shuffle a whole lot of stuff around. Like our plan based on what we actually did was vastly different because it just doesn't usually work out the way you want it to. Yeah, you set all your dates up, and then you promote them if you can. Try to get on, like, local radio and get interviews with local papers and blogs and stuff like that. And then you play the show, and you go to the next spot. Yeah. It's a good time, just crammed in a smelly van with a bunch of dudes. Yeah, how many cities do you go to? Um, I'm trying to remember. We were gone from the second to like the 20th and then uh we're home for a few days and then we went up to washington for a couple more dates um man so yeah like 16 shows or something like that we had a few days off here and there on the tail end of the trip um yeah it's like the most rewarding thing to put your music in front of people who haven't heard it before and to have them react well yeah. to it. It's like a really amazing feeling. And for to do that in like a place you've never been and to have people be so encouraging and to like actually buy stuff from you, like uh, people talk with their wallets, you know? Yeah. So like for someone to like buy your record and your shirt is like really says something you know, kind of tells us that we're doing at least something right. Um, yeah, it's an exhausting experience. Yeah. You don't get to sleep that much um, when you, you play do these like kind every, of fits. About every night. Yeah, uh, we the, we played nine dates in a row at the beginning without a break, and then after that we were like play like a couple shows and then take a night off and play a couple shows and take a night off. Um, yeah, you definitely have to, like, be careful not to just, like, burn yourself out. And luckily, like, we all get along really well, so there wasn't really any, like, internal politics or anything to make the trip, like, yeah. worse. Well, nine days or 16 days in a van with someone. Like, yeah, we were, like, impressed with ourselves on the way home. We're like, well, I don't think we got into, like, one fight or anything. You know, there's, like, minor disagreements and stuff like that. It's, like, going to happen no matter yeah. who you're with, but no, like... Metallica style emotional meltdowns or anything like that. So that was good. Um, yeah, I don't know. If you can, you should just go go on tour with the band sometime. It's super fun. <laughs> it should be super fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We had some friends follow us down there, and they like ran our merch table and stuff. But they also just like 
are the kind of people who could just spontaneously decide to hit the road for a couple of weeks without yeah. like consequences, self-employed and everything. Yeah. It's not like it's a thing that you could just easily do, but yeah, yeah it's a it's a really unique, fun experience. Oh, so before I forget, um, thank you for your time. So yeah. Forgot on like two of them. Uh, I like, edited in. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, hey, I don't want to say it in person. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, man. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, and where can people it. find more stuff about you and the band? Um. Well, I'm like, personally, I'm sort of like stealth mode. I don't really. Uh, I haven't been pursuing my own music uh, for a while. Just been kind of putting it all into the, this band right now. But uh, we're on Facebook, Cambrian Explosion. You can find our music on Bandcamp. It's C-E-P-D-X dot bandcamp dot com um that's pretty much it for now yeah. we should be on instagram soonish i've been pretty lazy about that because it's just a whole other thing to <laughs> learn how to do how did you guys oh how did you guys name it um uh we had like shuffled through a few names that we just did not really like um we're sort of bouncing back and forth along just like different ideas about like magic and mysticism and space and stuff and um i was just watching the cosmos the classic carl sagan one and like the second or third episode of that he just talks about the cambrian explosion and, like the, are you familiar with like the actual cambrian explosion like Not, that particular epoch or like yeah just the era like it, the cambrian explosion is essentially um this era in evolutionary history where like the amount the variety of multicellular life like increased like exponentially so we went from like just mostly single-celled organisms and all of a sudden it's just like like all these multicellular complex organisms just showed up yeah that's the cambrian explosion and so carl sagan was like the cambrian explosion blah 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 and i'm like sitting in my bedroom like that's uh that's cool and i texted them like you might not be into this but this would be a cool band name and thematically it's we felt it was appropriate because like we try to sort of use like a lot of different styles and like fold different ideas into our music so having that like the variety of the explosion seemed to fit and yeah. it just sounds kind of cool um it's been frustrating because people are always like, what? Every time you say it, either that or they're like, oh, like Coheed and Cambria. And I'm always like, no, but it's okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, that's like the one aspect of the band that I contributed. I got to name it, feel pretty good about that. I don't need to write any songs or anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm satisfied with it. Yeah, no more work for me. You can write the drum parts. I'll just sit there. Thanks for taking the time, Ben. That name again is Ben Dorothy. Music for this podcast is written and performed by Cambrian Explosion. Yes, the very same Cambrian Explosion featured in this week's episode. To find more conversations like this one, check out Why Try the Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do me a favor by hitting subscribe and going online and leaving a review so that more people can find Why Try the Podcast. If you have feedback, questions, or ideas for guests to appear on the show, send us an email at whytrypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter 
where you can find out more about future episodes at Why Try Podcast. Thanks for listening.